Greetings in the name of the Triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I am blessed to pastor the rural congregation known as Samanach Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information on our rural congregation, please visit samanachbaptistchurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K, baptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to the online gathering for Samanac Baptist Church for the first Sunday in May, May 1st. We are on the third Sunday of Easter. Thank you so much for joining me. My name is David Johnson. I serve as the pastor here at Samanac Baptist Church each Sunday at 10 a.m. We also have in-person gatherings. Would love to welcome you to one of our in-person gatherings each Sunday at 10 a.m. Our online gathering is gonna be called to worship here in a few moments by a reading from Psalm 30, the 30th Psalm. Before that, just a couple of announcements. On Sunday, May 15th, two weeks from today, we're having what we are calling Brunch Church. At Brunch Church, we will enjoy brunch together here in our fellowship hall at 9.30. Then around 10 o'clock, we'll have a modified worship gathering in the fellowship hall. So please join us for breakfast at 9.30 on Sunday, May 15th. Uh, if you're here uh, or you're going to be here and you'd like to sign up to help us prepare that breakfast, there's a sign-up sheet here in the foyer. Um, you could email the church office and let us know how you'd like to help with that. Speaking of breakfast, on Saturday, May 21st at 8 a.m., we're having our next men's breakfast. So men, please join us for a great breakfast together and even better conversation couple of regular announcements. Monday at 1 p.m., our Galatians Bible study happens here at our, uh, in our fellowship hall. And on Wednesday at 6 p.m., we're going to meet at Sandwich Church of the Nazarene for table talk. We're going to have soup, sandwiches, and a conversation. We had our first of those this past week here at SBC. This coming Wednesday at 6 o'clock, we're going to be at the Nazarene Church. We're called to worship by a reading from Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol restored me to life from among those gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you had established me as a strong mountain. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I made supplication. 
What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is God's word. Let us pray. Almighty God, whether we find ourselves in times of prosperity or times of adversity, whether we find ourselves in times of joy or times of weeping, whether or not we find ourselves with faces that are dismayed or faces that are brightened, We come to you asking that you would hear us. We come to you asking that you would be gracious to us. We come to you asking that you would be our helper. So for my brothers and sisters who feel a time of mourning, a time of sackcloth, would the word of God to the people of God this day turn our mourning into dancing Replace our sackcloth with the clothes of joy. Cause our souls to speak to you this day, Lord God. Open our lips that our mouths may praise you. O God, whose blessed Son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread, open the eyes of our faith that we may behold him in all his redeeming work who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our reading from the Apocalypse this morning comes from Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. During the season of Eastertide, we are looking at different scenes from the book of Revelation. The overall series is called An Apocalyptic Easter. And again, I want to re-emphasize or emphasize again that apocalypse in scripture does not mean the end of the world, does not mean something catastrophic, but the word apocalypse simply means an unveiling. So during this season of Easter, we are asking that the risen, exalted Christ in all his glory would be unveiled to us. Eugene Peterson, in a wonderful little book called Reversed Thunder on the book of Revelation, says this, The gospel of Jesus Christ is more political than anyone imagines, but in a way that no one guesses. Pastor Cody Matchett says something similar. The last book of the Bible is the most relevant book to our cultural moment, but not for the reasons most people think. Beloved, through his resurrection, Jesus has been exalted as king of heaven and earth. That is one of the most political statements any of us could make. And we have a vision in Revelation chapter five of the resurrected, exalted Christ. Revelation chapter five, then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll, written on the inside and on the back, 
sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw... A better translation would be in the middle of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sing a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slaughtered and by your blood you ransomed for God's saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands singing with full voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This is God's word. Let us now respond to God's word in prayer. Triune God, we pray with your servant Paul, therefore God lifted him high and granted freely to him the name above every name so that in the name of Jesus, every knee would bend in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue consent that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Continuing to pray with your servant Paul, raised with Christ, let us seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Triune God, the prophets tell us, you are about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, God of new life. We look for your resurrection power 
King Jesus, because you are alive and by the spirit that has been sent out into all the earth, you are now present with us in this space. You are now present with us in the homes of those who are watching this online gathering. So we ask for your discernible presence and because you are full of mercy, hear the prayers of your people. You are faithful and gracious to hear our prayers. So we now name before you the needs we have and the needs of those we love. Because the spirit of God has been sent out into all the earth and King Jesus, you are present with us and full of mercy. We ask you to hear our prayers the Spirit reveals to us, King Jesus, that you are full of compassion for all that you have made. So we remember before you our community. We remember before you our neighbors asking for your reign in heaven to be done on earth. Because the Spirit has been sent out into all the world and because that Spirit reveals to us your presence and your compassion here prayers of your people. King Jesus, the Spirit also reveals to us that you desire to fill us with all the fullness of God. So we pray for the church in all places. We pray for Samanach Baptist Church, that we may be faithful to our head and that we also may be one across generations and geography. Because the Spirit has been sent out into all the earth, and that Spirit reveals to us your presence and your compassion. Hear the prayers of your people. From you, every family on the earth takes its name. Around the throne are voices from every tribe, tongue, people, language, and nation. So we pray for the world. We even pray for our enemies. We pray for Russia. We pray for Ukraine and for all who are ensnared in violence, greed, and conflict. Because your spirit has gone out into all the earth and because that spirit brings to us your presence and your compassion, we ask King Jesus in your mercy, you would hear the prayers of your people who now offer to you the concerns and the burdens that we carry in our hearts. Because you are near to us and because you are full of mercy, hear and respond to the prayers of your people. God of new beginnings, you raise us from the grave and draw us into your glory in your love, release us from all that binds us to death, that we may be eternally bound to you through the resurrection of your son, Jesus, with whom we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 4 and 5 and different observations that we're going to make from those two chapters in the apocalypse. That's the text that I want us to pay attention to together today. The exalted Lord is the slaughtered lamb. The exalted Lord is the slaughtered lamb. This is the message of Revelation 4 and 5. Chapter 4 gives us one panel. That chapter describes an exalted image of the Lord God, the Almighty. Chapter 4 exclaims to our creator in verse 11, you are worthy, and then this is what the praise calls him, our Lord and God. Chapter 5 offers another panel. Chapter 5 presents an exalted image of the slaughtered lamb. Chapter 5 proclaims to our Redeemer, chapter 4 to our Creator, chapter 5 to our Redeemer now in verse 12. You are worthy, verse 9, to take the scroll and to open its seals. That means you're worthy to be the Lord of history. Worthy, verse 12, is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Chapters 4 and 5 in Revelation function, function much like the Christian art of the early Middle Ages known as a diptych. That word is spelled D-I-P-T-Y-C-H, but it's pronounced diptych. A diptych is a painting, especially an altarpiece. On two hinged wooden panels, which may be closed like a book. Medieval artists would hinge together two pieces of wood. On the inside, then, they would take wax, and they would use that wax to depict a scene on the inside of those pieces in order to present, and here's what's key, two different angles on the same scene. In one of the best books I've ever read on the book of Revelation, Michael Gorman explains Revelation 4 and 5 as a visionary diptych. Let's unpack what he means by digging into these two chapters together by making some very basic observations. And these observations are designed by the apostle to help us believe that the exalted Lord is what? The slaughtered lamb. The exalted Lord is the slaughtered lamb. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and there in heaven, a door stood open. One of the phrases that's often heard around our home is, shut the blessed door. This is something that is never going to be said about this door in heaven. John is given on the Lord's day by the spirit, a vision of heaven. And the first thing that he sees that makes this vision possible because of the work of Christ is a door of heaven is open. We are given top secret clearance into earth's control room. It's like we are seeing the situation room for all of earth. This is critical because bad things 
in John's day are happening on earth. You remember from last week? The Revelation is a book written by a first century follower of Jesus for other first century followers of Jesus. It's not written for us first and foremost. It's first written to them. Who are they? First, the author John is living out a life sentence on a rock we know as per, uh, as um, Patmos. Antipas of Pergamum from chapter two of Revelation is dead. A Christian leader has been executed by Rome. The Roman Empire is about to, in the generation after John, initiate a violent collision with the first and second century church. All our questions of, and I've got another word for you. First word was diptych. Second word is theodicy, T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y. That's a question that philosophers use that basically proposes this. If God is good and powerful, why do bad things happen? In the words of Revelation, in their context, if God is good and powerful, why is John imprisoned? And why is Antipas dead? These words now in Revelation 4 and 5, these, these questions, this theodicy is carried to heaven's door and the door doesn't shut in the face of our questions. The door remains open because of the work of Jesus Christ and we are invited with John to bring these questions to heaven and a vision of heaven's control room, the situation room of all the earth is now open to us. So do you see the picture that John is painting? Two panels, same image. The first panel is chapter four. It's as if chapter four is a general, translucent vision. Translucent means allowing light, but not detailed shapes to, be pass, to pass through. So think of like a frosted window. It allows light in. If somebody's standing outside that window, you could see an image of their shadow, but you cannot see clear shapes. Chapter four gives us a general, non-specific, translucent vision of heaven's situation room. And it's to this vision of God we often come with our questions. First, let's notice a few things about this image. But what I want to see is there's parallels. The same phrases that are used of the general vision in chapter 4 are used of a different vision, though, in chapter 5. Verse 2 of chapter 4. At once I was in the Spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne with one seated on the throne. And then if you turn over to chapter 5, Something similar is said in verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne. So there's a phrase in both chapters, verse 2 of chapter 4, verse 1 of chapter 5. We have one seated on a throne. Now look at verse 4 of chapter 4. Around the throne are 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones are 24 elders dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. That's chapter four. Now, if you look at chapter five, starting in verse six, you see something very similar. 
Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. First, I want you to see four living creatures are now among the elders. Then verse six, these creatures have seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Verse eight, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, are you seeing how we've got around both thrones, seven spirits, four living creatures. A few more observations about this vision. Chapter eight, and the four living, or verse eight of chapter four, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around, and inside day and night without ceasing, what do they do? They sing, holy, 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 the Lord God, the almighty, who was and is and is to come. And they also sing, Whenever the four living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne. Something very similar is said then at the end of chapter 5. They, verse 9, sing a new song. And then they say something very similar to what they say to the creator in chapter 4. They now say to someone different. But what we're going to see is it's the same person. I am in verse 12 of chapter 5. Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Also verse 13, to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor, glory and might forever. And then that crescendo brings both panels together. And what we say to the creator in chapter four, we are now saying to the lamb who was slaughtered in chapter five. Now here's the purpose of that overall vision. Two panels coming together. When we see and hear chapters four and five together, John invites us to look at the whole visionary diptych. Two panels, different angles on the same vision. He wants us to see chapters four and five together. Again, chapter four is a general, translucent vision of heaven's throne room. It allows light and general shapes through, but nothing very specific. Now, chapter five is a specific, transparent vision. What is transparent? Light, shapes, specifics come through. In other words, in chapters four and five, we are seeing the same vision. But in chapter five, we are seeing the throne and the one seated there more clearly. In chapter four, he is Lord God, the Almighty, the Creator. But in chapter five, He is the lamb who was slain, which is why we must never forget the exalted Lord is the slaughtered lamb. The exalted Lord is the slaughtered lamb. Here in our sanctuary, we have windows going along both sides of the sanctuary. Those windows are translucent. They are frosted so much so that they only let light through. But this past week, we had workers here on ladders outside those windows replacing lights that are above some of those windows. When they were doing that work, if you came into the sanctuary, you could see something strange was going on out there. And if you didn't know it, you would look and it would appear that some strange image was floating outside that window 
But then if you were to open that window, you would see it was my friend Jesus on a ladder changing a light. When we were in seminary, Yulinda and I and Dalen and Alethea lived in a home in East Texas. Outside our bedroom window, there was a street light that was always on. And usually we would leave our curtain open because it was a bit of kind of like a night light that didn't really affect our sleeping, but kind of was this calming presence outside the window. Well, you, Linda and I, in order to try to minister well to the teenagers who were in our youth ministry, had watched a movie that they were talking about. That movie was called The Ring. It's quite the horror movie. And if you're familiar with this, there is this character in the ring called Samara. And here's a little bit of the background. I don't know that many of you would be interested in watching this. But Samara, when you watch a VHS tape, a specific VHS tape, she tends to crawl out of the television and wreak chaos upon those who are watching the VHS tape. Samara is this horribly frightening character. She has long, thick, dark hair. She's always wearing these kind of old school pajamas, kind of like this long sleeping shirt like they used to wear on Little House in the Prairie. And that's what she would wear and her image is horribly frightening. Well, we had watched that and then we had gone to bed and then in the middle of the night, I could sense a presence in the room. I could sense somebody staring at me. And I fluttered my eyes open and standing in front of that window behind which was the streetlight was an image of someone whose hair was all messy down in front of her face. This someone was wearing a nightie. And if I had had quicker reflexes, I would have lunged at her, throwing her through the window and hopefully eliminating her as a threat. Before I could react that quickly, I realized it wasn't Samara. It was our toddler, Dalen, because she had awoken at night for some reason we weren't aware of. And because she was so afraid to wake us up, she would just stand in front of the window, staring at us. You see, when I first saw her, I saw this shady image and I wasn't sure exactly who it was because there was just this general shape of her. And when I saw the general shape, I thought it was Samara. But then as my eyes opened and focused and as I came more fully present into the room, I realized it's not Samara. It's my beloved three-year-old daughter. Something similar is happening in Revelation 4 and 5. Revelation 4 is kind of this general, shapeless figure. Lord God Almighty, creator. But then chapter 5 gives us a clearer picture. And this is so critical for understanding how often our questions of theodicy come to God. That ultimately the God before we, whom we bring our questions is not this distant creator-only deity he is the one who comes to us and suffers with us and for us. So we've noticed similarities between 
chapters 4 and 5. Seven spirits, four living creatures, 24 elders singing about worth, glory, and honor seated on a throne. Again, chapter 4 paints for us a general translucent vision of God in heaven, but chapter 5, beloved, paints for us a specific transparent vision of God in heaven. The general vision of chapter 4 describes God Almighty. The specific vision of chapter 5 describes the one on the throne as the sacrificial and slaughtered lamb. Chapter 4, God is distant and impersonal, but as we get a clearer image, chapter 5 presents us a vision of the same God, but reveals more. The window is open, and we realize the Almighty God is the Lamb who was slaughtered. Indeed, the power of God is not that of a capricious, distant deity, but the power of God is the, is the power of a loving, sacrificial Lamb. The exalted Lord is the slaughtered Lamb. The exalted Lord is the slaughtered lamb. Annie Dillard in her famous work, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, puts it this way, poetically. That Christ's incarnation occurred improbably, ridiculously, at such and such a time, in such and such a place, is referred to with great sincerity among believers as the scandal of particularity. She continues, well, the scandal of particularity is the only world that I in particular know. What use has eternity for light? We're all up to our necks in this particular scandal. That's exactly what's happening in Revelation 4 and 5. We've got the scandal of generality in chapter 4. And yet, sadly, for so many of us, our image of God is the distant deity, the creator of chapter 4. But John expects us to move from chapter 4 to chapter 5, where we get a clearer picture that the one who created all things, the one who reigns and is worthy of power, glory, might, and wealth, is the lamb who was slaughtered. Beloved, we must move from the general of chapter 4 to the specific of chapter 5 to find in chapter 5 the clearer vision of who God is. Which is why Scottish theologian Thomas Torrance puts it this way. When you look into the face of Jesus Christ and see there the face of God, you know that you have not seen that face elsewhere and could not see it else how. The exalted Lord is the slaughtered lamb. The exalted Lord is the slaughtered lamb. Finally, it's crucial for us to remember that the question of theodicy, remember that word? Theodicy is this philosophical question about, okay, if God is good and powerful, why do bad things happen? I think these questions are shaping the way John tells this story. Again, he's the last living apostle, and he's living on a life sentence on the island slash rock we know as Patmos. 
Antipas body, which has been burned by Caesar in wax, is decaying under the earth. John and his seven congregations of Jesus followers have a lot of questions. However, John's vision of God must shape the image that we have of God to whom we come with our questions. John's vision of the God to whom these questions are taken is significantly different often than the God of our imaginations. Yes, the true God is sovereign. Yes, he reigns. Yet, he rules and reigns. When we read Revelation 4 and 5 together, he rules and reigns not through force, not through power, but through sacrificial love. It is the slaughtered lamb who by his blood ransomed for his father a people. It is the slaughtered lamb who is the Lord of history. So Annie Dillard has described this poetically, the scandal of particularity. Thomas Torrance has described this for us theologically. Michael Gorman now describes the biblical ramifications of the reign of God. Again, sovereignty in chapter 4, but then the manner of that sovereignty in chapter 5. Orman writes, in his exaltation, Jesus remains the lamb, the crucified one. He participates in God's identity and reign, making him worthy of worship as the slaughtered lamb and only as such. This is, Gorman writes, the consistent witness of the New Testament, that the exalted lamb, the exalted Lord rather, remains the crucified Jesus. And this one, the crucified Jesus, is the true face of God. When this witness is neglected or forgotten, trouble will follow swiftly. Any reading of Revelation and any practice of theology more generally that forgets this central New Testament truth is theologically prognostic problematic, even dangerous from its very inception. It is doomed not to failure, but to success. And that is its inherent defect. What does he mean by that? He continues, human beings, even apparently faithful Christians, too often want an almighty deity who will rule the universe with power, preferably on their terms and with force when necessary. Such a concept of God and of sovereignty induces its adherence to side with the kind of God in the execution of divine might and the quest for divine justice. Do you hear what he's saying there? The God before whom we bring our questions about his goodness and his power, the God before whom we come when bad things happen is not some capricious distant deity it's the God who had the worst evil in the history of evil inflicted in his own human flesh. Beloved, when we vividly behold the God who rules and reigns, when we are given a transparent vision of the universe's situation room. 
we behold the one who is a lamb, who was slaughtered for the healing of the world. Jesus is the God who listens to our theodicy questions. When we are suffering, when we are not getting our way, the imagined conversation we have with God looks a lot different when the God with whom we converse is the slaughtered lamb. The exalted Lord is the slaughtered lamb. Amen. Let us pray. Triune God, take every thought captive to the slaughtered lamb. Take every vision we've imagined about God captive to the slaughtered lamb. King Jesus, your little brothers and sisters are suffering by the Spirit. Show us your wounds. By the Spirit, help us to know that the exalted Lord, the one who rules and reigns, is the one who not rules and reigns through force and manipulation, but through sacrificial love. Therefore, slaughtered lamb, exalted Lord, we praise you joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And all of us said together, Amen. Thank you for joining me for this online gathering. I now invite you to receive our final benediction. And now may the God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make us complete in everything good so that we may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, the slaughtered lamb, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.